every single adult makes decisions with money. And somehow we send these 18 year old kids off with very little formal preparation to make money decisions. And so it's just like, we hope they'll figure it out somehow in college or after college, or, you know, maybe they'll figure, but really they don't. Hey, Nick Nanton here, and thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. I want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this show on YouTube. So before we continue, be sure to subscribe to our channel and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos. You have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them. If you're on your phone, just go into your settings and switch on notifications. Thanks for watching. Hey, everybody. Nick Nanton here. Welcome back to Now to Next. I've got my good buddy, Chad Wilson here. Chad, what's up, man? Hey, how are you, man? It's great to be here. Yeah, man, glad to have you. Uh, excited to talk with you uh, cross country. I'm going to give everyone sort of the, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts bio, then we'll jump into the fun stuff. But just so everyone here knows, uh, Chad is the president and founder of Pacific Capital, a fiduciary family office team that helps eight and nine figure entrepreneurs with their financial goals. He's a certified financial fiduciary, accredited wealth management advisor, and chartered retirement planning counselor. He's the author of the best-selling books, Stress-Free Money, Smart Not Spoiled, and his brand new book, Beyond the Money, as well as the co-founder of a new banking app that helps kids manage their finances called Gravy Stack, which I think is probably the most exciting prospect you have. Uh, but welcome to the show, man. Let's talk all about wealth. Look, um, you typically deal with people and entrepreneurs. That's typically who makes that kind of money. It's just the way it is. There's others, yep. but that's yep. why you find yourself there. You are an entrepreneur as well. Uh, you know, eight and nine figure entrepreneurs, that's that's big zeros. That's big numbers. Um, but, but where I want to start is um, many of us have kids. And it doesn't yep. matter if you're making $800 a year or $8 million a year. We all have this. We all have a relationship with money, right? And yep. it's either a positive relationship or a negative relationship. Typically not just a, uh, a regular relationship. And to me, I just relationships to me are just stories with emotion attached to them from historical events. Like that's really all they are. And I so, like yeah. So what I want to do is talk to you about, like, first of all, tell me a little bit about, uh, because I think it'll inform where we go. Tell me a little bit about growing up, Chad Willardson, and then yeah. let's start talking a little bit about um, some money myths and maybe the way you started discovering some of those uh, personally and in your career. Yes, that's a great topic. I, I think what's crazy is that every single adult makes decisions with money. And somehow we send these 18-year-old kids off with very little formal preparation to make money decisions. And so it's just like, we hope they'll figure it out somehow in college or after college or, you know, maybe they'll figure, but really they don't, you know, they take a lot of these lessons from their childhood. So me growing up, I'm the oldest of four kids. Uh, we, we definitely were not rich or wealthy. We weren't in poverty. But uh, we were middle of the road. Um, you know, my parents, when I was little, I remember they shared a car and we had a really small house and I had three younger sisters. We all shared a bathroom and shared bedrooms, but uh, they didn't talk a lot about money. I just knew my mom was definitely into coupons and she was always writing everything in her little checkbook. Like she would, we'd be at the grocery store and she'd be writing down how much she spent. I remember that stuff, but I didn't get a lot of money lessons as a kid. I just knew we were pretty careful about it. Um, I think in the in the second book, I talk about how my dad would always kind of not order much. And it was kind of like, don't get desserts unless it was a real special occasion. Now, when my youngest sister was a junior or senior in high school, things were very different. I remember coming home and being like, wait a second. Like, she's just picking up some fancy food on the way home from school, getting her nails done. I'm like, I was growing up in a very different household in the early 80s than 
you know, that my youngest sister grew up in. But let's bookmark that too, because that's a fascinating topic because you know, parents and people progress in life, right? And and the oldest, sorry, I'm gonna put a bookmark in that, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The the oldest definitely experiences typically a lot more frugality and accountability when it comes to money decisions. And by the time, you know, maybe the parents are earning more money in the future and they're also perhaps a little less strict and concerned about the day-to-day details with the youngest child. So it is definitely a different experience if you study that. What I've found interesting though, is that people carry their money blueprints from childhood all the way through their life and they're unaware of it. So the people I deal with obviously are very successful, high income entrepreneurs. It does not matter. It does not matter how much money you have, your money philosophy that was drilled into you by osmosis, observation, whatever it might be, or intentionally in in the household you grew up in, you carry that with you. Here's a quick story. Client um, client I used to deal with probably 15, 20 years ago, they were retired in their late seventies, millions of dollars in their retirement accounts, tons of cash flow. been in the same house for 40 plus years. The wife really wanted to replace the carpet. It was gonna cost a couple thousand dollars. They'd had the same carpet for 30 years. It was old, it was dirty. It didn't fit with the times and she just kept begging him and he refused. He couldn't bring himself to do it. We, we don't need it. You know, I don't know if we can even afford it. And I'm like, you have millions, literally millions of dollars and no debt and all this stuff. And so finally I basically, I persuaded him and I made it happen and actually arranged the carpet guy to come over and just kind of pushed his way through it. And he was happy he did it, but he couldn't get over that mental hurdle of like, we don't need it. We can't afford it. We don't need it. We can't afford it. That was just drilled into his head. You know, if you're the kind of parent that's always running around saying, you know, turn the lights off, turn, turn, do this, don't do that. It's like the kids will absorb a lot about money that you don't even realize they're learning. But those those lessons will last decades. Man, so much therapy to be done here. But uh, there yeah, is. a couple of things. Um, my friend Jack Canfield, you know, co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul. I, I share this story a lot. He said to me one time, he's like, Nick, you know, let's let's just talk for a second. So he's like, you fly a lot, don't you, Nick? I'm like, yes. He's like, yo, I, I imagine you're probably in the one of those first like 10 seats a lot. I'm like, well, you know when I can. Yeah, of course. I enjoy it that much better. It's like, okay, so let's just imagine it's a good day. You're sitting up there. You're in row three. And uh, this little kid, little three-year-old kid walks in. And he's just the cutest little kid. He's got his little pilot wings. He's got a little pilot Halloween costume on. And you're like, this kid is so cute. I bet he wants to meet the pilot. But in, in a turn of events, the kid goes into the cockpit, locks the door, gets on the microphone, says, hello, everyone. Today I will be flying you across the country. And you're like, what would you think? Would you panic? I'm like, absolutely. He goes, well, unfortunately, Nick, most of us are allowing ourselves, the three-year-old version of ourselves, to pilot our multimillion-dollar bodies every day because we didn't do the work to, you know, to get past these preconceived notions, these baked-in tendencies, these things, these traumas we dealt with, and and we'd never do it. So we're literally letting a three-year-old version of ourselves, you know, make decisions. And, like, huh. and there's like so many places we could go with that analogy because it, it's so it's so accurate. That's real. Um, and I, yeah, that's real. Yeah. And in this, I love what you're talking about, too. I think one thing you and I both know from studying a lot with Dan Sullivan, you know, there is no number, by the way, that Mm -hmm. people people think once I hit a certain number, everything will be fine. By the way, I was on the impression that like at some point you just 
you just had enough. I, I don't know. Like I, I just, you know, you think there's just at some point everything just gets easier or and it and it's it's so not true. The other thing I think that I've realized as I've grown up, like I grew up with my parents. And so I tell my mm. kids, like, you're yeah. growing up with me. I had my right. youngest kid when I was 25 years old. You yep. know, he's 17 now. And it's like it's funny, he is he's getting ready to go off to college. He's like, Oh man, I know you're waiting until I go off to college. Cause then you're going to buy that ski boat, aren't you? And then you're like, he's already talking about like, like, Oh, I know it's going to get so much better when I leave. I've seen it happen with everybody else, but like, that's an interesting discovery of how would you say, and we're going to get some children's financial rules. What's your take on like how to make that fair for kids? Is it important? Like if, you know, if you buy the second kid, uh, if you help them more with the car or, or they get a nicer car, do you go back and make it right with the first kid? I don't know. This is an interesting discussion. I think that's one of the hardest things in families is the different dynamics of wealth and money decisions. Honestly, in, in family, family run businesses, I see it a lot. In inheritance cases, I've dealt with many of those over the last 21 years. Um, people who are waiting to get money from mom and dad when they pass, and then others who have no need for it, it, it just changes everything. And, and you don't expect any of the kids raised in the same household to have the same mindset and philosophy about money. It just almost never happens. People are complete opposites in some cases. And so I don't know if there's a fair way to financially parent kids. I know there's a smart way. And that's really what I talked about in that book, Smart Not Spoiled, is how do we teach kids? Because over two thirds of parents feel that kids are extremely spoiled and entitled these days. And so how do we approach that? They're growing up with a lot more at their fingertips. But is it their fault? I mean, they see mom and dad click a button on the phone and a box shows up the next day. How are they supposed to feel about the value of money if all they see is I want this. I touch a button. It's on my doorstep. You know, that's a different world. Yes. And it's a different responsibility as a parent to teach, you know, smart money habits. All right. So we'll dig in here for a few minutes of your book, Smart.Spoiled. Everyone should check it out. Um, Chad is the author of multiple books, uh, Beyond the Money, Smart Not Spoiled, and Stress-Free Money. Let's dig into Smart Not Spoiled for a minute. So you, you say there's basically, you've broken it down to what, seven skills yes. that a kid needs to have to have a healthy relationship with money. Um, the first one is invest early and often. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So one of the things that I talked, I remember my, my oldest is the same as yours. She, my daughter's a senior and then I've got a 15 year old sophomore. Uh, when he was 13, I just tried to teach him a little bit about the power of investing and starting early. And so we talked about like, Hey, if you could put away a hundred dollars a month of your own earnings and invest that, in the stock market and just let it go, but keep adding a hundred dollars a month for the next 40 years, 30 years. What do you think it would turn into? You know, and I, I gave him an example. I'm like, you, let's say you put away a total of 50 to 60,000 over those 40 years. What, what could that possibly grow to on average? And he, of course he had no idea. And when I told him it was over one and a half to $2 million, it just blew his mind. He's like, wait a second how do I invest just a hundred bucks a month? And then it turns into over a million dollars. And we talked about the power of compound growth. And his first question after we had that discussion was, well, what if I did 200? <laughs> Dad, what if I earned 500? I'm like, well, you could probably have money a lot earlier and a much more significant amount. You could achieve financial freedom and essentially not be forced to work doing anything you don't want to do. 
And so the wheels started turning. He's like, well, how could I earn $500 a month? And I said, well, we need this. We need to figure out what you like to do and what you're good at. And so that's where that next, that other chapter called learning to earn came from teaching my kids where four of my five kids have their own business right now. And they're making money doing different things that they really enjoy. And so I, I think if they under, if kids are taught the why and what it, the benefits and, and kind of what it could produce and create for them, they're going to be so much more excited about their approach to earning money. It's not going to be a chore. It's not going to be pushing them out the door to go work at the fast food place. It's like, how can I earn more money with less time and then invest it wisely for my future? And once you, once that light bulb turns on, the kids' lives change. And I've seen that firsthand. And what do you think is the – what's the best step you've found to get kids to – is it that – that analysis of a simple of something is as uh, comprehensible as a hundred dollars a month. I mean, what's, what's the first step to get, and then to actually take some action, actually do something. I, I think we talk about first, you have to just basically talk about what money is and what it isn't. Um, I've taught my kids and I've spoken at many large groups and just of, of teenagers and parents and younger kids, just about what is money? What's the value of it? What's it for? Um, a lot of these kids grow up thinking that money is bad or that people with a lot of money are, just inherently bad, greedy people. You know, that's the Disney movie character where it's the bad guy who's got the money. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's an absolute falsehood. There's a lot of good being done and a lot of that good costs money. And you can do a lot of good and you can have good intentions and, and be a great person and, and have values while succeeding. And so first having a foundation of what money is and how to get it, what you can do with it, the good things that you can create with it, what it means to you, helping them set goals, even a small thing of like a kid wants to 12 year old wants to save money for an electric scooter because he'd love to get around the neighborhood with his friends. Well, that's something that he's excited about. That's going to motivate him to figure out how to earn money. And I always talk about the trifecta, like you have to be good at something. You've got to really enjoy it. And it has to be something that others are willing to pay for. And if you can find all three, let's do something. I'm here to support you as a parent. Let's figure out a way for you to earn money doing something that you like and that you're good at and that others are willing to pay for. And I think that's been the key that really unlocks the imagination of like, wow, like my middle son is 12. He loves animals. We don't have pets. We're, we're way too busy to be a good pet owners at this point in our life. But he walks dogs. He gets paid, you know, 40 to 60 bucks an hour to walk a few multiple dogs in the neighborhood. And he loves it. He gets his dog time. And he makes a heck of a lot more money than most 12 year olds are making. So it's just unlocking the imagination of what's possible with these kids and teaching them that money isn't a bad thing. It's not a scary thing. If you learn about it, it can be something that you can use for good. I love it. And the other thing too, is that a lot of people think a lot of money gives you happiness too, which is couldn't be further from the truth either. Like I say, you know, there's, there's other things like this too, but for sure money and alcohol are magnifiers. (laughs) If you're a happy person, you're going to be happier. If you're a miserable person, you'll be more miserable. Like it just makes you more of who you are. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. It shows, it shows and it exposes who you are. If you're really generous and you're a good person, then, then having success is going to magnify those great traits. Now, uh, your second principle is borrow wisely. Um, that's a tough one coming at kids, particularly when we've seen, I mean, you know, uh, an 18 year old, far less of 48 year old, in a lot of cases, finds it really hard to turn down 
you know, credit card money and, and special offers. And, you know, an 18 year old kid walking across campus today, uh, or even just scrolling through TikTok or Instagram is going to get, I don't know, 50 first credit card offers. That's like true. that's a tough thing. So how, how do you borrow wisely? And, and there is a way to use debt intentionally and wisely. Yeah. I, I like to talk, talk about how debt is a double-edged sword. Um, when it's used for good, when it's used for things that you're investing in for the future that are going to produce a greater result than what you're borrowing for, then there's a good chance that it's going to be a productive use of, of a loan. And I talk about different interest rates and, you know, how to be a good borrower, borrowing to spend, to live a high life that you can't afford, borrowing to buy stuff that's going to go down in value borrowing to pay the bills when really you should cut down the cost of your bills or figure out a way to earn more money is only going to dig you a very deep hole of consumerism. And that's why we've got over 1 trillion of credit card debt in America today, because adults and, you know, 18 year olds alike, they get caught up in that comparing with the Joneses on Instagram and TikTok and figuring out, well, I want to, I deserve that. I don't need to wait and work and save for that. I should just be able to get that right now. And, and that's part of the problem. So uh, I think teaching to borrow, what borrowing is for, what good debt is for. I talk about education, buying your first home, investing in real estate and a business, things like that, where it can produce great value. That's worthwhile. Um, you should not be borrowing for stuff that you have no chance to afford. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and let's also talk for a second, too, because obviously, in a lot of cases, obviously, if you have cash, you'd advocate in many cases, if it's, if it's 0% interest, probably not, by the way, right. but right. if there's an interest rate buying with cash, but also talk about like, there is a balance with this. I mean, like, I know you and I, we've had some pretty nice dinners together. Yep. I know you have some not so bad vehicles and other things like that. So like there, there is also like, how, how do you encourage people to start to set a litmus test of like, what can I like the new carpet? Oh, I can, I actually can't right. afford that. Right. I should probably enjoy it and stop putting my spouse through hell. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. where do we, where do we find these, these safeguards? I think you said it well, there's a, there's a great balance in all of it. I, I believe that, first of all, I believe from a young age, a portion of every single paycheck should be saved and invested for the future. So in, in no place do I advocate spending every penny you make and spending beyond every penny you make, which is what a lot of people do. So if you need to find a way to earn more income, do it. If you need to find a way to temporarily cut costs, do it. Save and invest a portion of every paycheck. That being said, once you're doing that, sure, enjoy life. Like I'm all about enjoying life. We're about taking away the stress from people's life so they can enjoy what they're doing. And I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm not saying you should have no debt ever. I disagree with that. I think debt definitely has a place. Um, you know, there's certain things, like I said, that are productive use of leverage is great for investing and for business and for education, potentially, yeah. um, you know, $400,000 for a, a degree that's going to get you nowhere is not worthwhile. So think about the investment that you're borrowing for, um, but enjoy life. So it, I think a lot of it, it's right down the middle. It's not being a miser and saying, saving every single penny you earn. And at the same time, it's not completely overspending and putting your future self in a big hole. Yep. And you know, it's interesting, like, cause I, I've never spoken to Dave Ramsey myself, but, and I don't know his viewpoint, but certainly look, I get that he is like, all in on his strategy. I think the important thing for all of us to note is like, there's no such thing as a strategy that's great for everyone. That's right. And so, yeah. you know, there's yeah. a lot of people that, that shouldn't be messing with debt. Like if you're, 
it's true. certain types of fixed income. And I mean, like I, I, there's a discipline in there that I think he's really helpful to have. I think it just, anytime someone takes advice like that without asking a lot of other questions, that's to me, that's where the yeah. danger is. But it, I, his great, his advice is great and very foundational saving and putting a little savings away, paying off your debts, especially credit card debts. I mean, that's a no brainer. Uh, but you're right. Saying nobody should ever take any debt, regardless of the circumstance. I just don't get on board with that. And I think yeah. each case is different. You know, you should be counseling with someone that's not caught up in the emotions of your financial decisions that yep. can give you some sound and objective advice on what you're doing. Absolutely. And you should also, by the way, find a financial partner, uh, confidant advisor who has similar beliefs that you do. Absolutely. Right. I mean, so yeah. just in like, I, there's many instances where I wouldn't believe that paying off my home would be the best use of my money, but I have other people that I know who've paid off their home and they, I think they, I personally believe there's other uses they could make more off that money, especially when interest rates were low. But I knew right. that those type of people, their mindset, they feel so free that they right. don't have a mortgage payment. So even if we could make that money more useful, they, they would have internal yeah, language that would make yeah. it. And so like, you know what, at some point, like you just got to let people be who they are and help them find the, the happiest version of themselves. And Agreed. so I think for those watching, I think, look, look, Chad is a great investment advisor. He, he may or may not be for you just the same way, by the way, I bet many of you walked into a local bank and ended up with a financial advisor who's probably not for you either. Like yeah. you really need to go out and do, do the work of finding someone who's, philosophies you believe in right. uh, and that you think fit your lifestyle. Like there's, I would never be happy without some form of risk in my life. I just, mm -hmm. I just wouldn't, it yeah. would not. It doesn't entice you you got to have some risk. You got to have some challenge and growth. It doesn't entice me. I, I can get, I've walked through this exercise with myself multiple times. My business partner has a great term that he also says, are you being intellectually honest with yourself? Like about many things, which is like a really great way to stop and say like, what am I really thinking? But like, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, life would be so good if I don't know, name the number. If someone would just give me $3 million a year to just do what I love to do. And right. then I get into like, I think through like the first 30 days of having this fixed amount of money coming in. And I'm right. like, I bet within like the first, by day three, I'm like, well, what else could I do to grow this? Or what, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, just, you, you, want, you don't want to be stagnant. That's just right. not who you it's are. just the way I, that's just the way my mind is wired. By the way, that's no knock on somebody who really craves security and is right. like, man, if I could just get 40 grand in security a year, I could breathe, I could paint, I could work on my car, whatever. Like there's no, there's no judgment in any of this. I think the most important thing is like find a strategy that makes you able to sleep at night. Right. 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 Yeah. And like you said, though, when you're talking about getting advice from someone that fits who you are, I think that's something that we find a lot and we get a lot of incoming referrals from great people that we are upfront and honest about and say, we actually don't think we're a great match and here are the reasons why. And this is what we think you should look for. For us specifically, our, our niche really is higher income entrepreneurs who are constantly creating, coming up with new ideas. They're extremely involved in complex things. They need to delegate this area of their life. So someone who is a retiree and in their 70s living on fixed income and has a nice little bond portfolio and they're taking a little money out each month. They don't, they're low maintenance. Like that's not a fit for me. Um, someone who is 
just out of college and is maybe working at a big four accounting firm and has wants advice on just kind of how to get started in their financial planning career, that's not a good fit for us. And we're honest about that. I think you got to find people, like you said, who fit what you do. If you're an entrepreneur and you've got multiple businesses and you're an active growth investor and you're working with someone at a bank who's an employee who never has signed the front of a paycheck, hasn't started a business, isn't in your same thinking like, how are you going to do your best thinking and strategizing with someone who's never done the stuff that you're trying to do? I'm not getting parenting advice from someone who has no kids. You know, I want to go to right. someone who I'm not going to the trainer who, uh, you know, is, is chewing on the Big Mac and has a 44 ounce Coke. It's like, I'm, if I'm going for training advice, I want the guy who's absolutely practicing what they preach. And so, yeah, I, and I, I, you know what I mean? So much wisdom in there, but this also, we will both remind you, this doesn't mean just find people who validate everything you say, because that is also a very dangerous road to walk down. But, but absolutely. I think it's, I think, I think one thing most people wouldn't even think of um, is that there are styles of financial planning and advice. And that's interesting in and of itself, just the same way there's a style of dress. There's a style like I would bet, by the way, you could probably tell an awful lot whether you're going to get along with, a financial style based on personal style too. That's I just, true. I, true. I just bet we find that all the time yep. with film production. Uh, story yeah, if, for you want me to wear a suit, if you want me to wear a suit and tie these days, it's not happening. We're not going to be working together. That's just not my style. <laughs> We're not going to be friends. I actually am surprised you don't have a hat on. I'm not sure I've ever seen you. I, one, yeah, but. I know. I know. I did my hair this morning. So <laughs> it looks good. Looks good. Um, know your cash flow. Yeah. Know your cash flow is important. I, I think that's something that we as adults pretty much don't know. We don't pay attention to what's coming in, what's going out. We just kind of kind of know how much is in the bank account. And I think teaching kids from a young age to track and learn just how it works. A lot of parents are, are hesitant to share, overshare with kids. And I get that. I don't, my kids do not know how much I have or how much I earn. But I do tell them how much things cost. If we're going to Disneyland, I'm going to tell them how much it costs. If we're going to the grocery store, there's no harm in talking about the cost of goods. You're not giving up personal info. So know your cash flow is really about teaching young people to understand a, basically an income statement, how much money's coming yeah. in, how much is going out. Uh, do an experiment with your kids, everyone who's listening, who hears this later or is listening live. Do an experiment and say, I'd like you to pretend that you're in charge of our family budget and write down everything that we buy every month and how much you think it costs. There's, there's a 0% chance they're within 30%. <laughs> Kids have no idea. I've done this before in audiences and, and sometimes it's hilarious. Like the kids think it's, it costs 800 bucks to run a full family a month in California. And sometimes people overshoot it. You know, they think the grocery bill is like $8,000 a month. They just, people, have, kids have no idea. But it's a great experiment and a converse. It's a fun conversation at the table. You know, I, I think I guess the point of all this is to make money a comfortable conversation topic in your family. That's where you got to start. So you don't have to know all the stuff. I mean, I, I put a lot of the stuff in the book to try to make it easy with conversation prompts and things. But just start talking about it. Pick one yeah. topic related to money and start having conversations with your kids so that they're comfortable and they're not so intimidated. One of the things I love, I heard from a friend, which seems so obvious to me now, but I haven't had a kid leave the house yet. Um, but he, my, one of my 
I'm actually friends with the dad. And then I became very good friends with the son, produced some music with him and other things. And one thing he told me along the way, because I was working with him while he was in college, like, oh no, he's like, my dad puts in, you know, I have, I have a budget, you know, right. my job, you know, he works other jobs and stuff too. He's like, you know, I get a fixed amount for my parents because that's what we've agreed on, but he puts it all in my account on the first of the month and I've got to pay my, my rent. I've got to pay my utilities. And I'm like, right. I did too. I had a different relationship because I was I had scholarship money and I was working and stuff too. My parents helped when they could, but I just never thought through like, cause you know, they're going to screw up by the way. Like, totally. you know, they're going to go negative. Like, and, and one of the things that I I've come to tell my kids a lot too, is like, Hey, just so you know, I expect you to make mistakes. Let's just lay that out on the line because uh, I still yeah. make mistakes, different right. sides at different times. But like the way we learn to process and learn from our mistakes and the way we learn to share about our mistakes, by the way, can provide a lot of value for other people in life and will also dictate how much trouble you get into based on whether or not you let me help you, you know, when you realize you've made that mistake. So I think it's super important to allow allow the guardrails to make some of those mistakes when it's a, a $200 bounced check instead of a $2,000 bounced check. Right. Sure. And on that same note, Nick, I'd say that's why it's also great to get your kids investing experience when they're young, um, have them invest and lose a hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, rather than doing it when they're 58 years old and trying to make up for lost time before they retire, like let them experience yeah. and see what happens when investments go up and down. Like get, get them comfortable with growth, with loss, with risk. Like that's, that's such a critical lesson that you can give your kids at a young age. Like FanDuel? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Terrible example. Um, all right. So that's great. Um, you know, it also made me think of like when you're talking about know your cash flow and you're talking about like the things we do in business. I'm like, I wonder how many kids do a uh, predictive analysis of birthdays and Christmas of, of how, much, how much there info go. they're going to get. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. Uh, talking taxes. This is a not like typically not the most fun one. Yeah. Um, but a really important discussion because I do believe in paying taxes. Obviously it makes our country run. I do believe in paying the minimum amount you're allowed to pay by law legally and ethically, which is also within the bounds. But tell me more about how do you help your kids understand taxes and how they work? Uh, so the greatest thing that I implemented many, many years ago on teaching taxes was I take the delicious first bite of every meal that my kids get at a restaurant. I take a bite <laughs> of their dessert. I take a bite of their dinner. I take a bite of their lunch and they just know it's taxes. Um, in fact, we were at a, we were at a nice restaurant not too long ago. And my youngest son who's seven, his name's Beckham. He got this incredible Oreo cookie, ice cream, cake slice, big old triangle, bigger than his head. He didn't need it all, but I took a massive first bite. And it was so good. I told him, plus he lives in California, so taxes are higher. So I took a second bite and he kind of threw a tantrum fit. He started crying and I, I saw some other tables nearby kind of look over at our table, like what's going on? This little kid's like crying so hard. And literally he pounds his fist on the table and he goes, I hate taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the most confused restaurant vibe. Like people were like, what is up with this kid? Like he's frustrated at his tax bill. And like, we, we laughed literally for like a couple of days as a family, just because I said, Hey, the lesson is getting through. I hate taxes too, son. Not now you can feel a little bit of the pain. Uh, I think it's critical to teach them that their number one expense in life on their budget line is going to be taxes. 
They don't realize that it's not your home mortgage. It's not your rent. It's not tuition. It's taxes because you pay sales tax and income tax and gas tax. There's, there's so many hundreds of lines of taxes that you're going to pay over your lifetime that it's just something to be aware of. I think it's good to teach what taxes go towards. But when a kid buys their first big purchase and it's $99.99 at the store and they give a $100 bill and they're like, where's the rest of the money? Like that, sometimes that's a wake up call. Like, what do you mean? It said 99 bucks. Well, it's actually $107.50. Um, so we teach our kids about taxes because it's important to understand that they exist. You need to plan for them. If you're, if you own a business, you need to figure out how to reduce your taxes and be smart about it. So you're not overpaying unnecessarily. Uh, I, I just think it's a critical thing to teach. The simplest thing you can do is even just Google a pay stub, a sample pay stub and talk through like, Hey, if, if you're 15 years old and you got a job and you're, you're going to make a hundred dollars. Here's how much you actually get deposited in your bank account. You know, and that's, that's something that's simple, but it's going to be very enlightening for your kids. That's, that's great. Yeah. It's uh, look uh, it's, it's, it can be painful, but if you prepare for it, it's much less painful. And, right. and like you said, just talking through budgeting and other things like that, because I, I don't know a single kid you know, practically who's not shocked by the first paycheck they get that, wait a minute, I thought I was getting, you know, $12 an hour. I worked, I worked three hours. Where's my $36? It's like, well, yeah. Great, great way to learn. No, yeah. We we have, we got an NBA basketball player client who is 18 years old. He, he went to college for one year, went straight to the NBA and signed a, a very nice seven figure rookie deal. And then his first, basically when it all, came through, he realized he paid close to 50% in taxes for the year and he had to pay tax. And I think it was 32 or 26 states because of all the different games that they played. And every, every time you play in a different state, you're earning money in that state as an NBA player. So we literally had to file tax returns with more than half the states in the U S any exhibition NBA events he did in other states, he was paying taxes for that. And it was just a, it was a big wake up call for this young professional athlete. And I think it's, it's on us to try to at least prepare young people for what taxes are and how they work. Yeah. It seems like there's gotta be an easier way, some sort of a NBA treaty or something to make that work think, better, you know? Yeah. You would yeah, think I, the I, states I, all want their piece of the pie. Uh, I mean, I get it. Um, learn to earn pretty basic concept. Um, yeah. You know, every you know it's helpful when kids learn how money is created by solving someone else's problem or doing something somebody else doesn't want to do which is another version of solving a problem Uh, tell me this um i heard one time from a, a guy i thought was pretty interesting that he said his son you know would take out the trash and would do other things and his son was like dad how come you're not paying me to do this like all my other friends you know get paid to do this and he's like because i don't want you to be a professional garbage man and so this is just what you do to be a part of the family so like where you know what's your take i've heard so many different takes on allowance i've heard you know there's just a bunch of different takes what how do you talk about learning to earn yeah i have five kids ages seven to 18 and i've never paid allowance once Um, our kids have to do certain things because they have a roof and clothes and a bed and food they got to do some certain things and pull their weight now if they want to earn money they've got they've just got to do extra work beyond the basics so many many years ago i created a spreadsheet a menu of opportunities 
where based on the work they chose to complete that week, they got paid whatever they wanted to earn. If, you know, they could earn a lot of money if they really put in the time and the effort to go above and beyond that week. And if they didn't, they didn't. And our kids pay for stuff like white elephant gift parties for birthday parties for their friends. Even my eight-year-old or nine-year-old, she's paying for presents to go to a birthday party. She's got to earn her own way to pay for the presents. Like, I don't want my kids getting everything handed to them. So they learn to associate effort with work from a very young age. So it's like, hey, I want to go to the movies. I want to go ice skating. I want to go get a new such and such with all my friends. Okay, great. Like, I don't have to, you don't have to constantly come to me and beg for money. You have that massive spreadsheet. You know how to earn money. Go pick stuff that you want to do that gets you enough money to go do what you want to buy. And uh, that's the philosophy I've always had. I think it's really helped them to be a little bit more creative. You know, there's, there's wiggle room for, hey, I have an idea. What if I did this, this, and this? Do you think it would be worth paying me 40 bucks to complete this project idea that I have? So there's, there's some empty spaces that says, see a need, fill a need. So they can come to me or my wife and say, I have an idea. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's how much effort and time it will take. And I think it's worth this much and we can negotiate. And I think that's, to me, that's the funnest part is when they come up with ideas on their own and I'm always going to reward that initiative. I love that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, and I guess it's just different for every family. What would be, what would be the requirements and what would be the extra totally. stuff? So it's just customize you know, that. Do that stuff. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Customize that to your situation for sure. Yep. All right. Um, we're on number six here. Uh, protect who and what you care about. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is really, I, I think it's great for kids to understand and be prepared for the unexpected in life and to understand that stuff happens. And so I think, especially now that I've almost got two drivers, we talk about car insurance and I'm like, if, if you get in a car accident or a speeding ticket and it's your fault, like that's something that you're going to have to work through and earn money to pay for. You know, that's just not, I can drive however fast I want and do whatever I, I want in this vehicle and mom and dad will take care of it. So we talk about insurance and what it's for. Uh, we talk about that. I've had multiple situations where a friend, I had a friend who was 40 with four kids and watching the World Series, cheering the Dodgers on with um, his youngest son, had a brain aneurysm, just collapsed right there, passed away. This is a guy that I had talked to for years about just putting something in place for his family. He never did it. They were in a real world of hurt asking for GoFundMe donations because they were going to lose the house. In addition to the grieving of the widow and the four little kids, she wasn't working at the time. And so I, I, I feel it's a duty for me to, to have this little conversation topic in there. If it helps a couple families, prevent a catastrophic loss. I feel like when there's big accidents and when there's grieving and emergencies, the last thing we want to do is worry about money. Like that, that just, I've seen that absolutely ruin families and it magnifies the problems. So as much as I can do to help prepare by teaching just a little bit about if something happens and there's a, a flood at your home, you have home insurance. We talk about car insurance in case of an accident, life insurance in case the, the you know, provider passes away unexpectedly. So that's what we're talking about. Protect who and what you care about. And, and that's, that's part of financial planning. That's important. 
Love it. And again, everyone who's watching, we are talking with a uh, good friend, Chad Willardson, the author of Smart Not Spoiled. He has a new book out called Beyond the Money as well. Um, we're talking mostly about Smart Not Spoiled because I think these are, you know, these are things that all are super common sense, but not, a, not typically not common knowledge. And that's why they're nice to have someone break them down. Um, I love probably my favorite principle here is uh, number seven, give generously. How do you how do you even articulate that? Because what is generosity for one to another person, right? Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I, I think one philosophy we've had, and I got to give credit to my grandparents and my parents, who always they always lived by uh, the scripture phrase where much is given, much is required. Yeah, and I've always been taught that since I was a kid, and it's it's our opportunity to give from a mindset of abundance. If you don't have money to give, you give time and resources. You give talents. Hopefully you can give everything you can give financial resources, time and talents. But I found that that's something that really gives purpose and meaning to success. Uh, my goal is not to have a certain level of cash flow and net worth so I can pat myself on the back. It really in the end is to make more of an impact and to bless people's lives and to create opportunities for people who don't have that. Uh, we have a situation where my daughter's basketball teammate comes from a very rough background, has had some really, really hard things in her young life. And she and a bunch of her, the other teammates stay at our house a lot. Uh, they're there for family meal time. They're there for our actual, our family prayer time. They're there for spending the night sometimes, getting rides to school, um, getting a ride to a tournament that's out of state, like, I think we have an obligation to do good with with the resources we've been blessed with. And so giving generously, whatever that might look like, a portion of your money, time and talents really needs to be dedicated towards giving and serving others. I love it. Well, to me, it's like two, I don't know, two branches of the same tree, investing and giving because- Right. You're, you have to be free with both sides. And so like I find oftentimes people have a preconceived notion that, oh, I can't start investing until until I make this much money or I can't start giving until I make this much money. I'm sure I, I haven't said it to you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure you would. I would imagine you'd say that the discipline of it is most important part, no matter what that what that discipline you set aside is. If you got 10 bucks, you know, can you give away one? You know, right. if you make $10, could you afford to save one? You know, right. it's, I, I try to get my kids, it, it may or may not be enough, but the, the principle is whenever you get money, whenever you earn money, you right. know, you're going to tie the 10% first yeah. and you're yeah. going to, and you're going to save 10% second. And I, my goal for you in life, because I never want you to be unproductive in life uh, is to, is to be able to live on that 80%. And now we'll take some taxes out and some other stuff. But like, let's, let's yeah. get rid of these two buckets first yes. because if you can just yeah. build that discipline and you may have a better formula, I'm open to it, but that's sort of what I what I No, I, we've, we've taught very similar. Uh, you've got to give and tithe and, and donate and invest. Um, I, I would put the percentage even higher of what you're giving and investing and the percentage of what you're spending lower just to create that extra discipline. But it doesn't matter. The principle is the same. And what, and you're right. I haven't heard it said like that, but the, it's the attachment to my money that causes me to basically have that overemphasis on the money itself. 
if I'm not attached to it, I can invest it in things that will grow for the future. I'll invest it in an investment in a company in a stock in a real estate property in a business, whatever. I'm going to invest it because I believe there's going to be some future growth. I'm going to invest it in a donation to give back to someone in need because I believe there's going to be future benefits. That's me not attaching to that moment right there when I have the money in my hands. And I think that that abundance mentality will lead you to earn more money anyways. That abundance mentality of saying there's more out there. I can invest. I can give away because I'm not done earning and creating versus the scarcity mindset of I better court it and keep it all to myself. I'm not going to invest it. I'm not going to give it away. I've got to keep it to myself. Like that's going to create fewer opportunities and keep you more closed from what could be a life of abundance. And, and usually there are, there's always outliers, but I would say probably in 90 to 95% of people's lives abundance. The only difference is the mindset, right? Absolutely. Like we said, That's I've it. seen people who their goal is to get, let's name it over a hundred million dollars in the bank. And once they right. did, they'd be good. The moment that money slipped down to 999, you know, whatever under a hundred million I'm they're freaking out because yeah. wait a minute, I don't have this anymore. And I thought it would, you know, and, and so yeah. it really is mindset. It really is. And as you talk about, you know, if you go deeper under all this, I believe the reason why these laws are sort of natural laws are because they're spiritual, right? There's a sure. reason that they're there. And to me, a big piece of this is just, is just a spiritual concept of surrender. Like if I'm trying to control everything, I'm going yeah. to be miserable because right. you just cannot Everything from you can control the decisions you make on a day-to-day basis, but you also have to give yourself another spiritual spiritual principle, grace. There may be a day that I need to buy two cups of Starbucks instead of one because I'm just dragging a little bit today, or I have a friend who needs that cup of Starbucks more than I do or whatever it is, right? So it's all about flexibility, surrender, and grace. I mean, and, on, uh, on that same topic, Nick, you've got to, you don't invest unless you have faith in a brighter future. Without faith, there is no investing because you simply would not believe that what you're doing is going to grow into something better. So investing actually begins with faith in the future, which is a really interesting concept if you dive into it. That uh, absolutely is. And, and that's, um, look, if you don't have faith and hope, you know, there's, yep. there, it's hard to build a future. And as we see with, you know, it's, it starts obviously because everyone starts as a kid that, that can be ruined as a yep. child. And then there's lots of Lots of three-year-old pilot therapy that needs to be done. Uh, but man, great, great concepts, great conversation. Uh, Chad, obviously people can check out your books on Amazon, uh, Smart Not Spoiled, Beyond the Money. There's others. Where else can they go to follow you, learn more from you, and uh, just just in general tag along with your hijinks? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm uh, daily posting on LinkedIn and very active there. And soon we will have uh, chadwillerson.com up and running. So that, that'll be a place to connect. So thanks for having me, Nick. I really appreciate it, man. Great conversation. Of course, man. Great to have you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon uh, in one of our other adventures. Everybody else, uh, take care. Thanks for joining us on Now to Next. And we'll see you next time. Hey, Nick Nanton here, and thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. I want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this show on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe to our channel and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos. You have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them. If you're on your phone, just go into your settings and switch on notifications. Thanks for watching.